Welcome to Renewal, the podcast. I'm your host, Lawson Hannaford. Uh, This is season one of our podcast, looking at renewal and how the gospel of Jesus Christ changes lives from the inside out, from the local church to the community, to our cities and to the greater world. We're looking at the history of uh, revivals. We're looking at the biblical view of revivals and how it starts here and now with us as God's Season one, episode four of Renewal, the podcast. We are back. Uh, we were planning to have uh, Charlie Tatira from Poland this week, but that's been uh, postponed for a little bit. But we are back here to talk about uh, where renewal starts. Now, this is a very interesting uh, concept because many people have different ideas on this issue. And so the best place to start is actually with faith faith itself. So I want to start by explaining something that uh, is quite fundamental to the Christian faith, something that we all should actually understand and get uh, in our own hearts if we believe in Jesus Christ, that the, the beginning with Him and transformation by faith in Him is the same place where we will continue. Let me put it this way. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, that He is truly risen from the dead, then of course that is the wellspring of transformation where you will overcome sin, where you will be filled with the fullness of God, where you will understand what it is that God has done for you in such a great measure that you will become on fire for God in all of your life. That is what renewal is. And that is where renewal starts with a concept that we cannot do it, but that God can do it. In this episode, I want to explore what it means to uh, look at renewal from a starting point. That is, where does renewal start? How does it work in our lives? And what might we do personally, even today, even as you're listening to this podcast, what we might do personally to respond to the work of Jesus? And so I want to inspire us today to consider these things in a far deeper way perhaps than we have before. Now again, I've mentioned uh, in a previous episode that one of the way, one of the people that was quite influential uh, for me uh, in thinking about renewal, and this was several years ago when I was reading a book called Jesus Continued uh, by, of all people, a Southern Baptist minister, uh, J.D. Greer. Now J.D. Greer has a, had a wonderful ministry, been quite influential on me, particularly from this book. One of the things that he uh, describes is actually being a Christian, but not knowing the fullness of the power of God himself, but desiring it. And he describes his own first experience of these streams of living water, this renewal in the Holy Spirit in what God has done. This is from his book. It says, so we started a Monday night Bible study. The format was simple. We'd sing a few worship songs. Some would preach the gospel each Sunday before we met for an extended time of prayer. We'd walk the campus or hole up in our dorm rooms and pray until we sensed God had heard us. The streams of revival began to flow slowly at first, but then like a flood. Now, I want to pause there for a minute. There was a dynamic sense of the presence of God Uh, when J.D. Greer and others in his life, in these early stages of his life and experience of renewal, 
there was a sense of seeking after God for what God would want and only proceeding from there when they felt God move in their lives. Let's continue. Our small Bible study group grew to about 80. One night, a friend and mentor, Alvin Reed, shared how he believed a secret sin in our group grieved the Spirit of God and quenched his activity on campus. He then, rather abruptly, asked if, he, if any of us had something to confess. He asked it two or three times and then just stared at us. Honestly, it was an awkward moment. For about 30 seconds, no one moved, and I was about to stand up, thank him for his challenge, and dismiss us in prayer when one of our worship leaders cut me off. Wait, he said, it's me. I'm obsessed about what people think about me. I'm a different person behind closed doors than I am in front of you, and I know that that displeases God. I have grieved the Spirit of God, and I'm the reason God is not moving more on our campus. He began to weep. What the Spirit of God did next is hard to describe. It seemed that every person felt a spotlight illuminating his or her soul. The Spirit of God showed me how eaten up with pride I was and how much more I cared about my own glory than God's. Far from being a God-centered leader, I was trying to steal God's glory, attempting to redirect the attention of Christ's bride away from Christ and onto me. I stood, confessed my sin, and asked others to pray for me. For the next several hours, an avalanche of repentance poured out of our little community. One freshman said, I've been at school for three months, and yet I've yet to tell my sweet mate about Jesus. That has to be sin. I haven't spoken to him because I've been afraid about what he might say back to me. If you'll pray for me, I'm going to go and tell him about Jesus right now. He left the group, led his sweet mate to Christ that night, and actually brought him back and introduced him to us before we let out for the evening. Students continued there in the presence of God until about 2 a.m., We only broke up then because several students wanted to start a bonfire and rid themselves of pornography and other things they felt displeased God. People were serious about seeing God come onto our campus, and he did. Now, this is quite a powerful uh, experience and sense of transformation at what God was doing in J.D. Greer's life. But he was almost a... uh, a participant when God moved in upon him. But I want you to notice something, and this is something that's really clear. This is something where uh, J.D. Greer identifies that renewal starts. Renewal starts with repentance. And what is repentance but getting real with God? How easy is it for us to pretend? How easy is it for us to pretend that we don't need God? How easy is it for us to pretend that our lives are fine without him? Even if we're a religious person, how easy is it for us to keep going with the status quo? Are you comfortable with your life? I can tell you I am not. Even as I share with you this podcast, I'm not comfortable with my life. And I hope that as you hear this, you are considering your own work with God and wondering, should I be comfortable? with the way that I'm living? Am I truly real with God? 
there is a sense in which our, des- our culture at the moment even desires authenticity. We often talk about authentic leadership. We often talk about uh, authentic people and how refreshing and real and true it is. How much more should we be real before God about who we are and who he is? And yet we cannot do that without repentance because he is a holy God. There is no other. What breaks our relationship between us and God? It is our sin. And what heals our sin? It is nothing but the blood of Christ and him alone and nothing that we add to it. And so if that is the place of uh, salvation, is if that is the place of cleansing, then surely that is where we must return to. One of the interesting things that... Um, J.D. Greer brings up in his book, and, and he talks about this, this experience of those first streams of living water, but he says one of the things and really the sins that uh, have caught up the church and caught up many Christians, and this is everyone, is that we've forgotten that God can do great things. In fact, we've stopped believing that God can do great things. One of the reasons we don't seek after a great transformation and renewal in our lives, church, culture, cities, world, is because we don't believe he can do it. And so he reflects on uh, these verses from Isaiah 59. He says, uh, Isaiah 59 verse 1 says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. So Isaiah 59 verse 1 tells us that God hasn't changed. God is no less able to do things. God's hand has not been shortened that it cannot save. In fact, not only that, he can hear everything that's going on, the good and the bad, everywhere. That is who he is. But verse 2 continues on. It says, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Why have we not seen a great work of revival, a great work of renewal in our time and place, something in our hearts and spreading broadly over our churches, over our city, over our world. Why are we not seeing that? Because we have stopped trusting in the God who sparks revival. So renewal in the sort of personal sense and revival in the broad corporate sense, it really does start with God himself. A God who saves. It's amazing because uh, as we reflect on really the story of the incarnation, that is when God became a man in Jesus Christ, we reflect that it was God himself who came to us when we couldn't save ourselves. He is always the initiator. A few years ago, I preached uh, a series through the book of Zechariah and it's a wonderful book. Uh, you know, we usually think of Zechariah uh, chapter 4. It's not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. But one of the things that struck me about the book was in chapter 1. It says, return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you. So God hasn't changed. And this was a time of great spiritual depression for God's people. They had been in Babylon because of their sin. They'd been away from the promises of God and the promised land of God and the, and the promised presence of God, or so it seemed. And yet God is saying, if you come back to me wholeheartedly, I will return to you in my fullness and might. And we actually don't see this uh, concept fully realized in the book of Zechariah. 
we see it fully realized in the person of Jesus Christ because God did come down and he became one of us and he took the great separating thing that we had, which was sin, upon himself on the cross and defeated it. He put it into the grave. And so rising from the dead for Jesus was actually rising uh, himself out of a place where sin would no longer separate us from God if we believe in him. It rises us us out of our spiritual death and into life with him. So renewal actually starts with a God who saves and it starts with the missionary God, the God who wants to spark true life and transformation in his people now, a freshness of the well of salvation now in his people. God is the one who does it. So renewal starts with a God who saves. Renewal uh, and I think we picked this up a little bit in uh, J.D. Greer's example of his own life. Renewal starts with repentance. The concept in Zechariah chapter 1, return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, is the idea of repentance. It says that things are always right with God, for he is holy, there is no one like him, but also says things are wrong with us. And they're especially wrong with us if we don't think there's anything wrong. I just want to make that clear. That if you're listening to this and you think, ah, I'm actually pretty good, you are the furthest. For it is self-righteousness that fills our hearts and we think we are fine and everyone else is good. But it is when we realize that actually revival does not start out there amongst those people who need to repent. We realize that the work of God renewing and bringing us back into a freshness of his salvation, a freshness of the Holy Spirit, starts in our own very hearts now. We almost need to be broken before God. I think of the Apostle Peter when he denied Jesus three times. And and it says at the end of that, when the rooster crowed, and one of the Gospels tells us Jesus looked at Peter, he went out and wept bitterly. He was a broken man before God. He was low and he was humbled and it was yet those tears of weeping that turned into a state of repentance for Peter. And when Jesus restored him, he became the figurehead and leader of the early church, preaching and seeing thousands saved as he saw a great revival in his time. And so that is the same for us. We must be people who seek after repentance. Now, I just want to share a an interesting uh, cultural understanding of repentance, uh, which has some accuracy to it, which is quite interesting. Uh, in Australia, several years ago, uh, two of our uh, famous cricketers, uh, Steve Smith uh, and uh, his friend Cameron Bancroft, so the, the captain of uh, the Australian cricket team uh, and a sort of lesser known, um, less a prominent player, uh, together uh, were caught out to be cheating in the sport during a particular test. Now, uh, these guys were you know, doing something wrong, but it, it was sort of ab- consumed by the Australian media as one of the biggest scandals that had hit for you know years upon years, decades even. It was like our mighty gods of uh, cricket had fallen uh, from grace. You know, people were even complaining, I remember at the time, that the Prime Minister of Australia was spending uh, too much 
time devoted to this sporting scandal rather than running the country, you know, and that's just typical of Australia. We, you know, when our sporting gods are tainted, uh, it tends to take up all our airtime. And so this was probably the, the greatest uh, sporting sin. But the thing that grabbed me was the press conferences where uh, these men were supposed to be repenting. Now, uh, the, both of them, uh, Bancroft and uh, Smith, uh, and, and even uh, Warner, who was there as well, they offered their repentance and pleaded for forgiveness uh, from the Australian public because they realised that they had sinned against the Australian public. And I, I found it quite interesting because on the one hand, those reporting on it, a lot of people accepted their uh, repentance if it seemed genuine, of course, and there was uh, a lot of talk about whether it was genuine or not. But some, uh, you know, accepted it and accepted that these men had promised that they would never cheat like this again. But there was another camp, another side of people who suspected that there was more underneath the surface here. They were sceptical not only of the men getting caught out, but they were sceptical about a deeper heart problem in the culture of Australian sport. They were sceptical of the win-at-all-cost attitude that Australians have. They were sceptical that there really was some sin underneath the sin, that the sin of cheating actually had something that was really fundamentally wrong with the human heart underneath it at elite sport and perhaps even in Australian culture. And the commentators couldn't work out what the problem was, but they knew there was a problem. And they were saying that cheating is actually a sign that there's something worse, something that they're maybe even yet to uncover. And this second group, interestingly, didn't accept the repentance and the pleading for forgiveness uh, from these men. They stayed angry. They thought that these problems that were uncovered were only the tip of the iceberg now, this is quite incredible because I think it exposes, well, it exposes a number of things, but exposes an unwillingness, I guess, to accept uh, repentance and contrition from people when you've been hurt by them. But it also exposes that I think some people were actually totally right in saying that there is a deeper Problem, almost a spiritual problem. They didn't touch on, use those words, but that's why they couldn't work it out because that was the locus of the issue. There is a spiritual problem with the human heart and it is sin. Now, the reason why this is helpful as a paradigm for us is we don't really get repentance. We think repentance is just saying a few words and getting things over and done with so that we can get on with our lives. Whereas one of the things that that second group that didn't really take the face value of repentance by these elite sports people, they wanted to see true transformation and heart change take place. And I would agree, and the Bible would agree, that true transformation and heart change takes place when we actually get real before a holy God and we say, no, the problem is not with us. And so the problem is not... uh, with you, God, the problem is with us. We say we are the ones that have not done as we ought to do. The problem is totally with us and we don't seek to spread the blame. But we say, God, we need you 
and you alone. We cannot make things right on our own. Now, this, of course, arises, arises the issue that there are roadblocks to repentance. And one of the clear roadblocks to repentance and why one of those uh, sports people really didn't return from grace, uh, return from uh, his fall from grace, I should say, uh, is that they're often in denial. You know, it wasn't really me. It was really someone else. I was only a small part to play. I uh, recall that the peacemakers, uh, the peacemakers uh, material, which explains how people ought to uh, come through conflict resolution, uh, it explains conflict resolution in, in, in this way. It says when you ask forgiveness for someone else, you might be only responsible for 2% of the problem. You know, they might be responsible for 98%. Now, often those statistics are a bit off and it's a lot more balanced than that. But let's say it was 2% that you're responsible for. You are still 100% responsible for your 2%. And so when we enter into conflict resolution, we need to ask forgiveness for what we have done, every contribution that we have made. But one of the problems is, I believe in the church, in Christian circles, is that we deny that there is an issue and we deny that we are a part of it. Uh, it brings to a clear reminder uh, the words in 1 John 1. It says, if uh, we claim that we have no sin, uh, the light is not in us and we are still walking in the darkness. In that, if we are in denial that we uh, have a part to play in the sins of our nation, if we are in denial that uh, there has been no revival and no widespread work, great work of God because uh, of someone else's fault. And we just think that you know, someone else has, uh, has been do- doing the wrong thing, but we have had no part to play. We are in absolute denial. You know, the, the words of one John are true in every season. It says... It says really clearly, actually, it says if we have, say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So there is a deception and a denial that takes place and we say uh, we, we have no part to play in our culture's sins. We have no part to play in the sins of the church. We have no part to play in the unbelief uh, that sits in our hearts. So that, I think, is a clear roadblock to true repentance because we don't even think we need it. Second roadblock I'd like to identify is that we don't go deep enough or a lack of depth. That is, we say, yes, yes, we need to repent. You know, and, and like the, the cricketers on their uh, press conferences, you know, we say the right words, we read out the script, we have the crocodile tears, but really, is it from the heart? Interestingly, I think we are willing to repent of kind of obvious sins. You know, obvious sins like sexual immorality, stealing, cheating, pride, selfishness, anger, leading to malice, unforgiveness. You know, and I would hope that we will be willing to uh, repent of these things. But what if there is a deeper level of repentance that we need? There's an amazing uh, list in the book of 2 Peter and describes uh, what a Christian life full of the Spirit should look like. Describes a virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, 
brotherly affection and love. And it says these amazing and extremely pertinent words. It says, if these qualities aren't apparent and increasing, then there's a problem. As in, if you are walking in the fullness of the Christian life and you're growing in these things, there is a problem. Uh, And in 2 Peter 1 verse 9 it says, For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. So we can deal with the obvious sins and yet forget that actually God desires that we would grow and conform into the image of Christ more and more. And if we're not growing, if we're not feeling true Christian joy, if we're not actually being changed in greater humility and greater confidence, not in ourselves but in God, then there is a problem. There is a deeper sin that sits underneath all the other sins and it is the sin of unbelief. It is the one that doesn't really trust that God is God. It doesn't really take him at his word. But it says we're okay on our own, really. We don't really need to be real with God because we don't need him that much. And so renewal starts with coming before a holy God in repentance, saying, Lord, I have sinned. I've not done things the way I ought to have done it. And I need you to change your work in my heart. An amazing example of this is uh, in the Korean revival. Uh, in 1907, uh, there was a great work of transformation in Korea. And we remember that at that time, Korea wasn't split into north and south. It was one nation. And there have been Christian missionaries for years Uh, in that nation and having very little effect. But then uh, there was a certain conference that took place and a book records what happened. It says, One of the Korean men, Mr. Kang, stood up trembling and said in barely more than a whisper, I have something to confess. I have for weeks harbored an intense hatred in my heart for Mr. Lee, our friend and missionary. I confess before God and before you and I repent. Now, this is incredible because up until that point in 1907, there'd been very little fruit, very little people converted. There'd been a lot of effort put in from from, uh, local people and from missionaries from around the world coming into Korea and trying to see people turn to Christ, and yet nothing much was happening. And yet when they met to talk about it, someone, God gave someone the courage to get up and get real with God and ask for forgiveness from another person because of their own hatred in their heart. This is what it says happened. The room fell silent. Did this man just publicly admit to hating the host of the conference? Every eye turned to Mr. Lee to see how he would respond to this surprising admission. Mr. Lee was taken aback and could not hide his own surprise. But he quickly answered, Mr. Kang, I forgive you. What followed was a scene that reporters later called a poignant sense of mental anguish due to the conviction of sin, men began to confess hidden sins and to pray for forgiveness. This meeting, which was scheduled for a few hours, stretched on until 5 a.m. the next morning. Now, this tells us a couple of things, and I think we're seeing a pattern. Repentance 
is a work of God's grace. And you see it, it expressed through people asking for and granting forgiveness. I mean, isn't that the grace of God that uh, Christ died for forgiveness of our sins? We ask it and he grants it. But we see uh, in, in a couple of cases that when people begin to get real before God and even one person steps out with courage and repents of something real in their life, it's like the floodgates open and something begins to happen in the lives of people. And when a prayer meeting you know, goes until 5 a.m. in the morning, you know God is at work. Right, because we're tired. We want to go home to sleep. We struggle to pray for 10 minutes or half an hour or an hour at the most. But when people can't move because they're under the presence of God, when God has become real to them again, when they have drawn near to God and He has drawn near to them, then you know that renewal is starting to take place. That's quite uh, amazing. I want to share a little bit more about what happened there. And this is, uh, again, back to our friend J.D. Greer. He uh, commentates a little bit on what happened in uh, the Korean revival, sort of before and after that event. It says, Before that now famous revival in Korea, American missionaries had been working faithfully for 23 years with little to no fruit. They almost left in frustration right before it broke out. In 1906, just months before Mr. Kang made his confession in Pyongyang, international relations became so strained that the American missionaries were making plans to leave. They had laboured for nearly a generation with very little fruit and the possibility of war threatened to undo what little progress they had made. Yet, after seeking God in prayer, notice prayer, they decided to stay and preach the gospel for a little while longer. Little did they know how momentous that decision to keep pressing on would be. Now, I want to say this, that in our day and age, so not in 1907, but in 2022, there has been a mountain of effort that has gone into evangelising Australia and other places in the world and very little fruit. A mountain of effort and very little fruit. We have tried and we have worked and yet we see very little happening. And yet the irony is God wants it to happen God's word promises that it can happen. God promises that if we turn back to him, he will turn back to us. But our sin of unbelief has hidden his face from us. Why wouldn't we turn to the living God in prayer and come in the name because of the blood of Jesus Christ and turn to our living God like they did in Korea in 1907? It continues, following that first all-night prayer service of January the 14th, 1907, the Korean Christians gathered again the next night, confessing their sins publicly and praying loudly throughout the night. Now, one of the interesting things uh, is that it sparked not only... So one person gets up and gets real before God. God moves in one person and it spreads But it doesn't just spread through one prayer meeting. People are so moved that it comes again the next night. It seems that when the floodgates open, you cannot stop them. Interestingly, uh, J.D. Greer comments on uh, a characteristic of uh, the prayers of Koreans uh, during their meetings. They all pray at the same time. 
So not just the pastor, but everyone prays at the same time. And one of the fascinating uh, reasons for that, uh, I remember uh, reading further about the Korean revival, and it was uh, there was some confusion uh, during one of the uh, prayer meetings because people used to pray one at a time uh, at these prayer meetings. There was, confu- there was some confusion during it. And so the speaker uh, seemed to get up to say everyone ought to pray, and so everyone began to pray themselves where they were, and that is how that tradition started. And it still continues today in many churches around the world who've picked up that tradition from the Koreans. Let's continue. It says, They gathered again the following day and the day after that. This went on for more than a week, these prayer meetings, until the growing sense of the Spirit's presence grew so strong. So see, like, there's another damn wall to break. There's another flood to go forth. So it goes strong that the missionaries were unsure about what to do next. They'd never seen anything like it. Soon the revival spread beyond those prayer services. It's like a flame catching a, a, a brush and a bush into, into a giant bushfire, which is catching from one tree, from one bush, from one area to the next. And we know lots about bushfire danger in Australia, but that is how revival seems to work. It's like a flutter, like a fire that seems to envelop more and more things as it goes. It says, over the next few weeks, believers sought out those whom they had wronged, some even going door to door asking for forgiveness. New believers were added by the hundreds. Revival spread to the nearby college. Within two months, 90% of the college students had professed faith in Christ. Villagers hearing about the events in Pyongyang flocked to the city, some of them walking 200 miles to see what this new God was doing. Many were converted and they carried the fire of this revival back to their villages. In one year, 50,000 came to faith in Christ in Korea, a place where previously there had been only a handful of believers. Now, I want to pause here again because this is a very important point. God can do more in one year just by the movement of his spirit, by people be getting real with him and really believing in the gospel of Jesus Christ that receives and grants forgiveness to others. God can do more in one year than we can do in a century or a quarter of a century. I mean, that's in a handful, and yet they see 50, 000, a handful in 25 years, and they saw more than 50,000 people converted in one year. It is an exponential work of God when He comes in power, when people get real with Him and begin to repent. It says churches sprouted up by the thousands. From there, the movement had spread to the surrounding Asian nations. So notice that the floodgates keep opening. It starts with one person in one meeting. It turns to multiple meetings. It envelops the city. It envelops the nation. It envelops the whole region. It said what happened in Korea did not occur as a product of a perfect method or clever marketing. The key is not in their loud, spontaneous praying. Koreans experience revival through the normal means of obedience, repenting of sin, praying persistently, and saturating both themselves and others in the gospel. And God used those tears of repentance to begin a flood of salvation. So what we see at work in Korea, I believe, is a paradigm for today. In 2022, more than a century later, we need this same work. And so I ask you, those who listen, will you 
get on your knees and get real before God? Will you invite someone else to pray with you? Will you go to your church's prayer meeting and get real before a holy God and say, Lord, I ask your forgiveness for I have not trusted in you. And stop beating around the bush, confessing the sins that are easy, that aren't really what's going on in our heart, but getting real before a holy God. So where do we start? In this uh, podcast, I don't just want to leave us with questions. I want to leave us with a challenge. Where do we start? Uh, In a sermon by uh, Charles Spurgeon, a a 19th century preacher, he says uh, these words. He says, So first let me speak a word or two about a full Christ for empty sinners. Are you empty, brothers, tonight? then Christ's fullness is precisely what you want and your emptiness is precisely what Christ is looking for. And when the two meet, then, as our brother just said now in his prayer, the right things are in the right place. Where could your emptiness be in a more suitable place than where Christ fills it? Where could Christ's fullness be more useful than filling up the emptiness of a poor, guilty sinner? This is saying Christ desires you to be cleansed from sin. Christ desires for you to be filled with the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Will you receive it? The onus is on us. God is prepared. God is willing. He has sent his only son, crucified and risen from the dead, ascended into heaven. He has sent his spirit to be with his people and he is able, ready and willing to transform and renew his church so that what happened in 1907, in Korea, can happen in Adelaide, Australia in 2022. It can happen in Melbourne, Sydney, Brisbane, Perth, Darwin, in the regional centres of this country. It can happen in Wroclaw, Poland. It can happen in Kiev, Ukraine. It can happen in Moscow, Russia. God can do anything when he uses the seed of faith to move the mountain of opposition. Jesus has promised that he can do it. Spurgeon goes on, he says, Alas, says one, I do not feel my emptiness. Then, friend, you are one of the very empty ones, because you not, have not even a sense of emptiness to fill you. He says, I generally find that those who think they do not feel their sinfulness are those who feel it most. And so we have to realize that even if we don't desire this yet, if we don't really want it fully, then that is our very problem. That is a sign that we need to get on our knees before a holy God and repent to him. And so we must ask ourselves, even challenge ourselves with these questions. Why not me, God? And why not now? We must pray the prayer that he would come and do this because we know that he desires it. He just wills that none would perish and that all would come to a knowledge of the truth. That he has come to fill our hearts. Jesus has come. The incarnation has happened. The work required for our cleansing from sin has happened. We have every invitation to come to Jesus. He's promised times of refreshing, it says in the book of Acts. He has sent his spirit to fill us 
like a river overflowing, like rivers of living water. And so our prayer should be, Lord Jesus, come like Pentecost again. Move in our hearts in our prayer meetings. Move us to start a prayer meeting when there is none, just to gather two or three, whoever would come. Pray and see God do a mighty work. If he can do it in the book of Acts, if he's done it over history, if he can do it in 1907 in Korea, when there's threats of war that are going to break out, and he could do it again today, for he desires to, for he is the living and true God. Thank you for being a part of Renewal, the podcast. Please rate and review uh, our podcast on whatever medium you use to listen to it. We would love to hear from you if you have questions or ideas that you would like us to cover on the show. And we will speak with you next week with a special guest we're having.